Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, a perfect segue is to introduce who's speaking today. He is actually the executive director of Alpha USA. His name is Craig Springer, and he is here from, uh, yeah, you can give him a hand. He'll come out in just a second, but... um, Craig and his wife, Sarah, they live and his family live in Denver, Colorado. And I reached out to him. A, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Oklahoma City, Denver, pretty much the same thing. And uh, <laughs> we, I reached out to him a number of months ago. I was like, hey, would you come? Because one, we want to put a, we need a shot in the arm for Alpha. But also we're doing a series called Live the Values. And I'll be teaching on this value of reaching people. And I think you're the perfect voice to, uh, to help you know, give even more um, gasoline on that fire in our church. And so Craig's written a couple books. Uh, one's called How to Follow Jesus. Um, it's out in the lobby. It's for sale for 10 bucks. We'd encourage you to pick this up. He'll actually be teaching some of his sermon today from this book. And then another book that's an alpha resource called How to Revive Evangelism, which uh, one of our equip studies is actually using this book as the resource to go along with it. And so uh, just, just, a, just a lot um, of uh, things that we're thankful for for him coming. You know, Alpha in the United States, just so you know, I mean, I think there's over 8,000 churches uh, doing Alpha. There's tens of thousands of people just in the U.S., over a million, if you will, globally that are affected by Alpha. It's an amazing ministry. And so it's a really big honor to have Craig here with our church pouring into us, right? So Craig, come on out. I'm going to pray for Craig, and then he's going to take off. Thanks, Tim. Let me pray for you, ready? Lord, thanks so much for Craig, and I just pray to uh, use him today, anoint his words to be a blessing um, to this church and to encourage us and challenge us. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you, OKC community. I'm so thrilled to be with you. You have a very special church and very special pastors. I think you all know that. If you're new or newer to OKC community, I I really want you to know what you're stepping into here. This is a place and a people of hope and help. And if it's felt like life is just sort of a cold night right now, what do you do? You go look for a bonfire where you can warm up. OKC Community is a bonfire in Midtown and wants to be there for you. And I hope you felt the presence of God and these wonderful people, and there's so much more to come, so stick with it. If I lived here, I would be here every single week, and I encourage you to do the same. I want to tell you a story about Tom. He stepped into the church lobby where I was a pastor. I'd never seen him before. It was on a Wednesday, and he walks up to me kind of timidly, and he says, "Um, are you the pastor? I said, yeah, what's up? And he said, listen, I have an important question for you. And I said, great. And he said, If God is real, I don't believe he is. If he's real, does he love and accept people who take their own life? And I said, whoa. And I just thought, whatever I say or don't say in this moment is going to have some significant consequences. I said, Tom, I'm so glad you found me. Let's sit down for a while, clear my afternoon, and start talking to him. And then I said the three most important words you can ever say in a difficult conversation setting— Tell me more. Everyone say that out loud with me right now. Tell me more. Now you've been equipped for every difficult conversation in your life. Husbands, you can thank me for that many times over. Tell me more, honey. It works. And Tom told me a story. He was, interestingly, a drummer in 
late 80s hair band and regionally famous in the area where I was actually even knew the band. And he got just caught up in the whirlwind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Everything eroded in his life. He ended up pushing away everyone in his life that loved him, strung out, stuck, now a couple decades later on the edge of life, now hanging under a doctor's diagnosis of stage four tongue cancer. With the, with the treatment was brutal. They had already pulled out all of his teeth. And they told him the next step of treatment was to literally cut out your tongue. You're probably going to live just a few more months, they told him, on a feeding tube. That's it. And can you imagine the kind of pain descending on his heart and mind? I even in, in that moment wondered, would I have what it takes to endure that? And I listened to his story, and then I said, Tom, would you give God a chance? If you take matters into your own hands, that's it. Would you give God a chance to help you, to even heal you? He has a gift that he wants to give you time. Would you start journeying with us? It might not be instant. Take a journey with us. I'm going to change gears for a second. I will come back to Tom. What is the greatest gift you've ever received, or even one of the greatest gifts you've ever received? Don't even try and pretend to be spiritual here, because mine is not spiritual. All right, and, and by the way, Tim told me that you guys like to talk back, and, and he said that as sort of a warning. And I was like, no, 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 I want you to talk back. So come on, talk back a little bit. So greatest gift. I'll tell you what mine was. I was 10 years old. Yeah, tell someone next to you if you already know what the greatest gift is, real fast. Yeah, rings, car, I don't know what it is. All right. So here's the deal. I was 10 years old, birthday morning which you know feels a lot like Christmas morning when you're that age. I wake up and I'm like, yes, present time. I come running down the stairs into the kitchen. My parents had corn pops all ready to go, the best breakfast cereal ever made. Some of you might want to just, this is where you can talk back to me, like Cinnamon Toast Crunch fans, I know you're out there. And I ate my corn pops. They made me call my nana and papa. I had to open up those sort of obligatory extended family cards. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, do they think I'm a patience ninja? Where is my present? I want it now. I'm 10, okay? This wasn't last year. And then my dad says, hey, go into the living room and bring us the newspaper. And I'm like, oh, diversion. Here, he wants to be out of the room because they're going to do something in here. So I go into the living room, and there's this huge something. And it's covered with our old blankets, and I just whip the old blanket off, and it is a yellow and black, perfectly assembled Kmart special Huffy BMX bicycle. Yes! I got up on that thing. I rode it through the hallway of our house, opened the front door, thankfully remembered, thank you, Mom and Dad! And then I went out, and we had some trails by our house, and like popping wheelies on these dirt trails. Oh, to be 10 years old again in the summer on a BMX bike. Oh, it's the greatest gift. There's nothing like that feeling, right, of receiving the greatest gift that we've ever wanted. We all have that amazing feeling, except there is something so much better. You know what it is? It's when Sarah, my wife, and I stayed up all night long assembling the little dollhouse for Isabel, our little daughter, and she woke up and played for hours and didn't stop for weeks. It's when we had a powder day in Colorado, which is not when two inches of snow fall and the city shuts down. It's when two feet fall. You need to understand that, my Oklahoma friends. It is God's heavenly fluffy glory blessing us, and we play 
and it was a Thursday, and I went in and pulled my son out of school and said, son, I'm sorry, you have a very important appointment today. We're going skiing. And he was just like, yes, my dad is the best. To give him this gift. It's when I can give Sarah a weekend away with her friends or on her own just to recharge and I'll take care of the, the home front. What is better than receiving your greatest gift than giving your greatest gift? There is nothing that compares to the wattage of being a gift giver. Doesn't even compare with us receiving something amazing. And this is us made in the image of our good and loving Father in heaven, the greatest gift giver ever. He made you and I to give good gifts, and he wants to pour out his grace through his son Jesus on everyone. You've heard this verse before, John 3:16, but listen to it again. The heart of the Father perfectly captured. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the greatest gift we can ever give anyone. However, Huffy BMX bicycles are still awesome. <laughs> Jesus goes on in John 10, 10 and says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. God longs for people to have life, unconditional love to the brim, freedom, fulfillment, hope, help, purpose. He wants to pour it out on all of us. And he says to us, you receive this gift, you know, you go. You know, then you're ready to go. He enlists us as his crew the moment we receive that gift. I want to tell you a story that Jesus told in Luke 14. Understand what it means to give good gifts. The spirit behind it. it. says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Luke 14, 16. So sometimes when you read the Bible, you get a simple statement. But you have to think of it almost like a movie director. Put yourself in the room. A wealthy king, probably Mediterranean king, threw a huge banquet for many guests. So now you have to picture a table full of cooked and spiced meats and creamy sauces and for some people a little bit of vegetables and huge amounts of colored fruits and steaming rice and pita bread and pitchers of wine and ale and, and water and linens draped everywhere and musicians, live musicians and a, and a table as long as you can see. Who wants to go to this party right now? I want to go to that party right now. That's the image. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come for everything is ready now to this lavish feast. But they all like began to make excuses. Now fast forwarding, the servant goes, came back after making some invitations, reported this to his master, and his master said, go out quickly into the streets. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you'd order has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, go, like, go further, go more, go again in the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. The kingdom of God that you and I have been invited to through Christ is a lavish feast that the king has put on. Every metaphor you can imagine of that beautiful feast we have in his presence. We have freedom. We have purpose. We have fulfillment. We have forgiveness. We have healing. We have transformation. We have a future and a hope now and into eternity. We get to see heaven come to earth and participate in that. We are sitting at the table of this feast. And then God says, but there's still room. 
There's still room. There's still seats at my table in my church. I want them full, he says. So don't quit. He sends the servants out three different times. They tried. They came back like, we tried. They said no. So we'll go out to those streets. Now he's over there. We tried. They said no. We'll go a little bit further. We tried. They said no. We'll go again. Every seat has got to be full. Bring everyone. Do not stop. See, when you and I are invited to the table, we take our seat. We receive the greatest gift we've ever had, but it's never given just for us alone. Have you ever wondered, like I have in those really deep sort of philosophical moments, that God, you're so good, honestly, this world is so broken, and even my life, even though I know you, is still broken, like why don't you just take all of us home now? Like why, why are we still here? What's the purpose now? We just get to enjoy the feast, I guess? Second Peter 3.9 explains exactly why Jesus hasn't returned to bring everything to completion and why you live and breathe today. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is literally holding out on the tidal wave of heaven and the end of time so that you and I have enough time to go and make more invitations, to go out to the country roads and to the alleyways and bring in everyone and everyone. He's saying you have a one purpose with your one and only life, and it is to be my servant, making my invitations to my glorious feast that will transform everyone's life. We have the greatest imaginable purpose. Nothing is greater, not even receiving a gift for ourselves, than giving the greatest gift we can ever give. What's the greatest gift we can ever give? An introduction to the God who loves someone. It's the greatest gift. And there's no greater purpose for your life in mind. Now, I love inviting people to parties. I mean, you think about how awesome that is, especially if it's going to be a really good party and there's really good food. Like, hey, you got to come check out the food. You got to come check out this party. Now, the problem is, is when we talk about evangelism, sharing Jesus with others, many Christians over the years have actually turned people away from the party with how they've made the invitation. As Mahatma Gandhi has reportedly stated, saying, If it weren't for Christians, I'd become a Christian. It's true though, right? Now, I realize some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, Craig, did you just trick this talk and it'd be all about evangelism? I like the BMX talk and the, you know, hummus and pita bread before. There is no way I'm going to become one of those hypocritical TV preachers or, or college campus Bible throwing people, telling people they're going to hell. I am not going to knock on random strangers' doors, giving them cheaply printed literature. I'm not going to be that. Don't even go there, Craig. Don't do it. And I'm going to admit, one of the reasons that it took me a while to say yes to Jesus when I, when I did was because I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't, I didn't want to have to be that person. I don't want to be a pushy weirdo. I don't think anyone of you want to. By the way, quick training class on how to be a pushy weirdo when it comes to sharing your faith. It's really easy. Just get really angry at other people who aren't following Jesus Feel internally superior to them, like, oh, I figured it out and you didn't. And then just use every moment in your opportunity talking with them to show them how their life is wrong and bad. That is the perfect recipe to be a pushy weirdo, to push people not only away from you, but from the God of heaven who loves them and from the feast of his presence 
that is waiting for them. So what do we do? We don't want to be this kind of person pushing people away from the Lord. So how can we handle this opportunity? Well, we're inviting people to a party. I want you to realize this is the perfect analogy. What do you do when you invite someone to a party? You tell them how awesome the party is. You tell them what it was like last time you went. You tell them how good the host is and how amazing the food is and what it feels like when you're in the presence of the other people there. Listen, so many Christians think that evangelism is pointing out the sin of the world and the wrong of other people when the, when the analogy Christ gives us is go make party invitations. Go make party invitations. What do you do when you're making a party invitation when it comes to sharing your faith? You're telling your story. Nobody can argue with the experience that you had in God's party. Tell your story. Now, here's the deal. It actually is biblical to point out the wrongdoing of other people. But I want you to understand when and for whom. We're told in the scriptures to correct believers in their sin who are close to us, who are brothers and sisters in the faith, in close fellowship with one another. We are to point out wrongdoing. We're trying to become holy in God's presence, not to be good, but because it's a response to his love in our lives. And Galatians 6.1 says this is actually how we should do it. It says, restore them gently. Somehow we've been known as sort of the, the sin police out there, like angry teachers handing out failure notices and wondering, why doesn't anyone want to come to this party? Because it's not a party invitation. You're, 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 you're delivering Fs to the world around us when Jesus himself is crystal clear on what and for whom points out the wrong of the world. He says in John 16, 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So church, whose job is it to point out the wrongdoing of those who don't know Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit's job. Let's never take over a role that God explicitly says is his alone. Let's leave that aside. That's not our role. And then we wonder why people won't come to the party. Let's just tell people about the party experience we've had. Here's another trick, or not trick, a tip around what has made evangelism ineffective over time. It's often followed this model. You know, change your behavior first, then you're going to begin to change your beliefs, and then you'll begin to belong in the family of God. Now, let's go back to the word of the Lord here. What is the wonderful king, the host, doing in inviting people to the party? He's inviting them. He said, you had a seat at the table. Do the attendees need to change their behavior or their um, belief system before they're invited to a seat at the table? No. No, they have a place to belong. So if we can reorient and stop trying to introduce people to a new set of beliefs as the first step, or certainly an encouragement to change their behavior as the first step, but actually create a space of belonging as the first step. We're going to begin to see people attending the party, enjoying the feast. And then what happens? Well, it's an inside job. The Holy Spirit does the, the work of changing the beliefs. And then the outflow is the work of the Spirit changing 
behavior. Again, what do we do? We invite people to a place of belonging, a seat at the table at the party. That's what OKC Community is doing here every single Sunday in all the connect groups. And particularly, that is what we're doing through Alpha, is creating a seat at the table of belonging with incredible food. By the way, it's, it's starting to sound a whole lot like a party. Never mix it up. Belong, believe, behave is the sequence that Scripture encourages us to share. Now, here's another unintentionally damaging mistake that Christians make that cause people not to show up to the party, experience all of God's goodness. Have you ever been to a barbecue and you get cornered by the person who just talk, 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 talk. It's like almost like they're shoving a verbal narcissism hand grenade into your ears and there's no way out and you're like signaling others to help you. And if you've never experienced this, it might be because you're that person. Now, no, no condemnation on Christians who get understandably nervous and, and anxious and, and sort of speeding up into a socially awkward moment. When it comes to sharing your faith, you hear a message like this and you're ready on Monday morning and you're like, oh my goodness, I got to talk to them about something. What am I going to do? Hey, did you watch the football game yesterday? And can you believe that they substituted the quarterback out? Oh, by the way, do you know the substitution? You told me Jesus Christ, do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? And you'll be covered in the blood of the lamb and raise the white flag and surrender. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I can write it on a napkin for you. And we wonder why they don't show up to the party. <laughs> there was an important ingredient missing there. Jesus asked 307 questions in the Gospels. He was asked 183 questions. He only directly answers eight questions in the Gospels. Jesus is 40 times more likely to listen than he is to pick up the hammer of proclamation. Listen to this, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Don't skip that too quickly. He has set eternity in the human heart. So those people in your life, the coffee shop baristas, the cashiers, the people we walk by on the street, your friends, your family members, your coworkers, God is already having a conversation with them. He's not inviting you to pick up the hammer of proclamation and nail something into them from the outside. He's inviting you to find the thread woven in the tapestry of their heart that he wove into the very beginning of, of their lives and begin finding his work. And we do that by listening, by drawing people out, by being like Christ, asking 40 times more questions than we give direct answers. Can you imagine a space like that? It's powerful. This is exactly what Alpha is, and I know many of you are experienced with it. Alpha creates a space collectively for belonging and listening. There's one more element that it does, which I'll tell you in a second. And we do proclaim the truth. You don't have to be concerned about that. There's an incredible documentary film series, and the way I invite people to Alpha is like, hey, there's so few places in life where we can talk about spiritual things or the meaning of life. We're hosting this gathering. It's a conversation series. We've got this incredible documentary films like Netflix quality. We've got Instagrammable food that you can come and, and enjoy. And once the conversation starts, nobody's going to correct you. No one's going to judge you. There's no pressure to speak if you don't want to. Just come once and see if you like it. 
That's the invitation, that space of belonging. And we train all the hosts and helpers with the three most important words, which you already know, which are, tell me more. Someone says, I don't believe Jesus is real. The Bible is made up. This is, this is BS, and they don't abbreviate. And, and we're like, wait, wait, have you read this book? Have you read this Bible verse? No, no, no. We say, that is a really good point. Tell me more. How does anyone else relate to this? What's happening in that process? Listening in our disagreement equal judgment, equals judgment, polarized, inflamed culture lowers the walls and the barriers. Oftentimes, people are stuck in their head on questions number one or two. And if we pounce back with an answer that likely is too simplistic or missing the point of what is really going on in their heart, we're not going to recognize the work of God that he's already been setting into their soul. And we're going to not get to, from questions one and two to questions four and five, which is where the wounds and the deep needs are remaining, where they need to be transformed. There's one more of the reasons that our party invitations generally fall flat. When it comes to evangelism, we've often thought or been trained, or some of you read books, that describe the intricacies of how to make the perfect party invitation in great detail. And the pressure builds up on us as followers of Jesus. We think, I need to memorize the five ontological reasons why God exists. And I need to have the deepest explanation for why God can allow pain and suffering to people who are good. And I need to be able to talk through the canonization of scripture and all the archaeology that has ever... We are focusing so much on the details of our invitation, thinking the power comes in our explanation. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, there was a time in my life where I acted as if the gospel was the explanation of men for the salvation of those who believe, wondering why I wasn't seeing the fruitfulness. And at some point, this is only a work that God can do. And see, if we're thinking in conversation with someone about how we're going to come up with the greatest perfect answer to every question that ever existed on planet Earth and, and defend the faith, what are we not doing? We're not listening. Yeah. Skipped a quote on listening. I just want to share it with you. I don't know if you'll find it on the screen. David Augsburger says that being heard is so close to being loved but to the average pe person, they're indistinguishable. That's worth memorizing. Husbands in the room. Being heard is so close to being loved. And, and, and why? Anyone. I'm not trying to knock on husbands. I just am. I need a lot of help. Being heard is so close to being loved that to the average person, it is indistinguishable. When we listen to someone, they realize... No one's ever listened to me like this before. The walls start coming down. It's not an instant moment. That's the thing about Alpha is it's eight to ten weeks, and so it's this gradual 
rewiring of the heart in a space of belonging around the people of God and the presence of God. You see, it is not the power of our explanation. People are longing not for evidence, for an experience of God. When we're sharing Jesus, listen, we're not sharing a statement of beliefs. No, those are important. We're not introducing people to a religion. Now there's some important points or a doctrine or a creed. We're introducing people to a living, powerful presence of our Lord and Savior that we want them to experience and have a relationship. And so what, what is the most important ingredient when it comes to sharing our faith is prayer. And you guys have a lively prayer DNA in this church. I was taking a walk this morning and I walked by a woman who was sleeping and I didn't do anything. And on the, on the way back, I, I walked by her again and she kind of woke up and I sensed the Holy Spirit like, yeah, there's something there. And I didn't do anything. Then I was sitting having breakfast at an amazing waffle place, which is close by, but I shouldn't probably promote things. I don't know. But you should go there. Just Google waffle. That's really nearby. And she walks by the window. And the Lord was like, you know, electricity. So I jumped up. And I'm not trying to make this story about me. I had an amazing conversation with her, breakfast time together, and then just prayed over her. So I'm going to be praying for you. I'd like to pray for you now. There's a church down the road. They want to pray for you and help you. There's power in prayer. It reminds me of a police officer friend of mine named Brian who set foot into our church at Alpha. He didn't want to be there. <laughs> His wife made him come. She had went to sort of a mother's support group. She didn't even attend our church and heard about Alpha. And she just said, man, Brian really needs this. It's like his heart's just grown stone cold. And so Brian came to our Alpha group. And week one, he sat there. And he's got a high and tight. And he's a tough cop. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is really uncomfortable. <laughs> I started feeling like a 13-year-old who was doing something wrong for some reason. I don't know. And week two, he came and he did the same thing. See, we don't force anyone. Week three, arms folded. Week four, finally, he opened up. And he was really kind. He said, listen, I, I respect what so many of you are here trying to explore. And I can see that we all need purpose and direction and help. But when you've experienced what I've experienced, and he began to describe that he was the first first responder into one of, unfortunately, I live in Denver areas, mass shootings that I know each of you read about in the news. He was the first one in the room and just held people. And after securing the scene. And then after that, he walked into a domestic abuse situation. I don't want to share too many details with youngsters in the room, but he just said, I felt like a wall formed my heart and there's no way I can believe that God is good and that he is good for me when I've experienced what I've experienced. Now, if someone jumped in and said, well, you know, Romans 8, 9 says that God works for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose. Do you want to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior right now? What do you think would happen? Thankfully, someone said, tell me more. Can anyone else relate with that question? A couple weeks later, we always have what we call the Alpha Day or the Alpha Weekend. It's a prayer retreat. We introduce people uh, to the gospel, to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we say, okay, Brian, 
um, I know you don't believe this stuff. At some point, explanations fail. And we always say of Alpha, it's perfectly designed to fail unless God shows up. Amen to that. I think it's true of all of our lives, but some of us just don't, aren't aware of that. We said, try this prayer. And there's no, we don't even have awesome music like we do right now. We just said, hold your hands out and just try this prayer. No one's going to do anything weird. Just say, come Holy Spirit. And so he says, okay, whatever. Come Holy Spirit. And he sits there for two minutes quietly. And then just slow tears start dripping down his face. And he starts kind of calmly shaking. You can just feel his body's heating up. And we train people for a very approachable prayer ministry in Alpha. We just, people got around him and just said, hey, more Jesus. Come Jesus, more of you. Do what only you can do, Lord, in Brian's heart and life. And after a while, he stops. He's like, you know, he's got to wipe it all off. He's like, whoa, what just happened? I just, I literally felt concrete shatter off my heart and this warm love pour in like I've never known. And he says, "Ah, I love Jesus. Three weeks later, he was baptized. Next term, he became an alpha host. He and his wife plugged into our church and they were servants inviting people to the feast the party over and over and over again. People aren't longing for your evidence. They're longing for an experience of your good and loving God. And we can offer that to them today. And so when I was sitting with Tom, I said, God wants you to experience him. Would you give him a chance? And he said, yes, I will give him a chance. And so our church, not unlike this church, adopted him. And we put together meal trains for him. We put together daily dog walking for him. We rallied money for his medical expenses. People day and night around the clock would pray with him or for them on his own. It was, it was beautiful. He wasn't getting any better. And so at some point I sat down with him and he started attending our church. And I just said, Tom, I mean, I believe in the power of healing and I'm never gonna stop praying for your healing, but You might not physically be healed, but you can receive full peace in a relationship with the Lord. And I want you to trust in Jesus now. So I explained to him, I said, listen, Jesus died on the cross and he took all of your pain and all of your wrongdoing, things that have been done to you, things that you've done, and he paid the price for it so that you can be forgiven and healed and set free. And then he fills you with his Holy Spirit, which you can experience heaven on earth now and begin a new life, even though your life may seem short. And you can trust that you'll be with him forever in eternity. And I said, do you want that? Will you choose that right now? And he said, yes. And he trusted in Jesus. He said, yes, to the greatest possible gift, the feast of God's forgiveness and his presence And it was so beautiful. And we just cheered and rallied around him. We baptized him. And so I shared his story. It was that kind of a big church setting. And I shared his story up to that point. And then later that week, I got a call at the church. And it was the 
head oncologist of the University of Chicago's top research facility that focused particularly on tongue cancer, the particular oral cancer that he had. And he called and said, Craig, I actually know what treatment Tom needs. I know he's been everywhere, but we've figured it out. And would, would you work it out so that I can treat him for free? So we did. Tom is now drumming in church, has his tongue. And of course, there was an amazing dentist in our church who rebuilt him a full set of teeth for free. Praising the Lord, building the community, making invitations to the feast of our Lord and presence. Listen, I want you to stand up together right now. Church, we have the opportunity to give the greatest gift to people. It's an introduction to God who loves them. And we can do it in a compelling way. Did you see that in the scripture? It says, compel them to come in. You don't have to be that guy or that gal. Make party invitations by telling your story. Listen to people the way that Jesus listens to people. And call on the presence and the power of God. Introduce them to prayer to do what only he can do. You are his crew for this hurting world, church to bring, yes, come on, to bring the help and the hope of Jesus. Listen, we're going to worship in just a minute. I think the band can start coming out now. Before we do, Tim is going to lead a prayer time in the midst of worship for all of us, but there's actually uh, two groups I want to begin prayer for right now. I mentioned a very sensitive topic around Tom considering hurting himself. And there's, there's no shame to have that question in your mind. It's just God wants more for you. You're his beloved. And we want you to be healed of that today. And if your heart is beating right now and you've even wondered whether you should consider hurting yourself, give God a chance and give this church a chance. And so trained prayer team members are up here. Once the worship starts, if you'd like to come forward and receive prayer and begin a whole new step, in your journey, please, we're begging you to do so. And then there's some of you that are like, I, I'm not at the table, the feast. I want that. Today's your day. Trust in Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer. It's a feast of his presence and his love and his truth and new direction for your life. So everyone's going to bow our heads together right now. No one's seeing. And if you'd like to pray this prayer out loud or just in your heart with me to trust in Jesus, please do. Jesus, I'm sorry. My life's messed up. I've done wrong. Wrong has been done to me. Thank you, Jesus, you died on the cross and rose from the dead that I could be healed and forgiven and saved. And please, Lord, take my life now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. Thank you, please. I'm yours. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, you just changed heaven and earth this very moment. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're his and nothing can change that. And so as we worship, would you be courageous enough and I know this is a very courageous ask. If you're struggling with thoughts of hurting yourself, 
Or heck, if there's someone in your life that you know and you, you want prayer support from this team, come forward for that. And if you just trusted in Jesus, you cannot. Faith is not a personal thing. It's a communal thing. You need the help, at least in this moment as a prayer team. So come on forward for prayer as we worship together now. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.